This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. Guys, we have got a fun one. If this is your first time showing up, the first time listening to the episode, the podcast, I should say, welcome. Uh, This podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is the nexus of AI machine learning and deer science. They put it together to help you make good decisions about when and where to go, as well as now he has got the most powerful mapping software I've I've ever seen and it's only getting better every few months he drops another uh, update you get all kinds of cool stuff and features there if you want to save some money CTO oh gosh Chase I'm, I'm drawing a blank is it CTO 25 I thought it was chasing tails but chasing tails you're I've right never actually used we've, it we've got to get all the promo codes into like one <laughs> like one spiel so it's easy you're right it's chasing tails t-a-l-e-s all caps or all lowercase he did he set it up that way i remember this now and you can save 25 percent on your membership for life you can lock in that price now so jump on that because the desktop version is coming there's some really cool stuff coming down the pipe i hope i was allowed to say that the desktop version was coming (laughs) if not i'm going to be in trouble and you guys just got some insider information but there's a lot of stuff coming down the pipe and they are awesome people to work with and this is a fitting plug because for me what we're doing here this is the inaugural part one to a five-part series we're going to be doing on Florida and Southeastern, but this is, it's really Florida habitats and it's going to apply to other habitats in other states, but this is a five-part series breaking down the five key habitats that we found. There's the coastal salt salt marsh, there's the North Florida oak and uh, oak hardwood and pine flat areas. We have a guest coming on from the scrub oak country of central and south central Florida. We're going to find, actually, I found, we just haven't convinced him yet. He doesn't know it. Uh, He's going to come on to talk about the Everglades, the marsh in the Everglades. And then we're going to have a guest that talks about swamps in this state. And And the purpose of this is to share 
information with you guys that can help you be a better deer hunter. And this might be, if you're a veteran, you might only pick out a couple bits of this, but we're going to be talking to guys who get it done. These are highly vetted individuals who live and breathe these habitat areas and are highly productive in those areas. I don't mean that they kill 140 inch deer, but what I mean is they've learned how to take that habitat and bend it to their benefit. And so uh, today we're starting with North Florida and we're going back in the archives. I reached out to a guy who uh, quietly gets it done. He doesn't really care about the notoriety, and that's what makes it difficult to find him. Ricky Bullard, he's been on before. The guy is an animal in North Florida. The guy's an animal anywhere he goes. But, I mean, the things he does in North Florida are magical. So, Ricky, I appreciate you taking time out your day. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. We, we, we were trying to get Ricky on, and he's like, hey, man, can we do 8 o'clock? I got a hole in the wall. That I'm, I'm trying to fix and I'm, I'm waiting for the photo to load and I'm thinking it's like, you know, a softball size hole. Old boy is taking out a wall in his house. Uh, uh, you talk about getting your honeydew lists done, sir. Not only do you uh, impress people in the deer woods, but uh, you're setting the bar pretty high for the rest of us who are barely getting through our lists. Yeah, I'm just trying to knock them out, literally knocking the wall out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man so it's it's fun because episodes like this and talking to people like you always make me feel kind of grounded because you and i hunt a lot of the similar similar places in fact some wmas we hunt like the same spots i mean you've sent me pins before and they're places that i've i've dropped pins and talking to you always gives me a good barometer for how crappy a deer hunter i am because you know you're you're always killing things and i'm hunting the same areas and not um <laughs> How, let's let's do it. Let's do it. Let's set the stage here. Who is Ricky Bullard? How, how long have you been in North Florida? What's what's the deal? Okay, so uh, I'm thirty, about to be thirty-four years old. I've been in North Florida my whole life. Uh, didn't really start hunting until I was like seven, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, where I could get out on my own. Uh, but started out hunting private land and just kind of always I hunted public land a little bit, but mainly quota hunts and you know higher percentage type stuff, and then. I just kind of slowly, gradu gradually gravitated more and more to the whole public land thing. I like being able to move around, uh, a lot of land at my disposal. So that's uh, that's pretty much my story. I learned as I went. Uh, didn't really have, I had granddads that hunted when they were younger, but weren't much help. Uh, whenever I was old enough to go, they just couldn't get around. Uh, so a lot of trial and error. <laughs> like a lot of people do and uh yeah that's pretty much it i recently started going out out of state and that's actually helped because you can kind of see how these some of these things that you read in magazines you're like oh that that doesn't pertain to me i live in florida well <laughs> you just have to make a parallel you know how it relates to florida habitat or south georgia wherever you're on that so yeah always learning yeah you keep that mindset and you you know, one of the frustrating things growing up was what you said, you know, outdoor, outdoor life arrives, field and stream arrives, deer, deer magazine arrives at the house and you're super excited to read it. But it was like, you know, hunt, hunt the, hunt the staging area before the, before the cornfield. And it's like, okay, well next, you know, fence rows are your best friend next. <laughs> like, yeah. you just you flip through the page and it's like really entertaining to hear these big buck tactics but it's like man this doesn't apply to me and that's kind of the basis for this episode is realistically field and stream outdoor life they don't care about florida right it's not there's only three hundred thousand deer hunters in this state um or hunters in this state as a whole i don't know how many of them are deer hunters 
Um, but in 2019, I think a total of 17,000 deer were killed on public lands. I mean, this just isn't a big deer mecca. And so this information just isn't out there for people. Um, kind of what did that early period look like for you as a deer hunter? Was it successful? Was it unsuccessful? What did that early period kind of look like from a woodsman's perspective? Uh, from what I know now, it's very ugly. A lot of, uh, a lot of mistakes, uh, just, just stuff you don't know until you've been doing it a while and you don't, you don't really have anybody to ask. And if you do have somebody to ask, they're like, Oh, we'll just put out corn. I'm like, well, I can't do that. You know, <laughs> I'm on national forest, but, uh, I had the only success I had was on private land at first. And then, uh, once I started realizing how deer moved in certain habitats and, uh, food sources they had and you know how to use those to my advantage like okay great they're eating whatever you know they're they're eating this blueberry patch on private land or they're eating you know these acorns like okay <clears throat> found acorns i'm hunting not seeing anything well they've already moved on they're on they're on the white oaks now or you know there are no white oaks they're just palmetto berries are are, are right you know that type of thing uh so it was I mean, it, it was rough. I had, you know, people to ask, but none, none of their advice really pertained to what I was trying to do. So, How would you describe the current Ricky? Um, everybody's got a style, right, in, in deer hunting, and sometimes it changes, and I think the best hunters can adapt with the situation. I'm a, I'm a food source first kind of guy. I, the whole idea of hunting, bedding, hunting those areas, if I can find thick cover or good good security cover adjacent to food that's what i'm keying in on first in areas if you had to summarize your style what's it look like uh it is like ever evolving because i think it was about three or four years ago now i knew i wasn't really happy i was killing deer but like you know not the deer i wanted a lot of does i was had meat in the freezer but i just wanted more so that's when I got into the whole Dan Infault, you know, betting tactic thing, which is super attractive. It sounds really cool. It's, you know, it is cool. Uh, it's hard to do around here, <laughs> but I found a way to make it work. And that itself made me a better hunter, just understanding betting and things you can get away with, things you can't get away with, things that like you might find a buck bed and it looks like a buck bed. It's got rubs on every, the whole nine yards, but it's not one three-year-old and a four-year-old buck that's using it all the time. And that's where he lives. It's like they rotate around. It's just little things, you know, like that. Like you hunt this big, I got a big buck on camera coming out of this bedding area. You go hunt it and you see a spike or you see a six point and you shoot it because you're a Florida hunter. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you realize I may not get that big buck every time in this bedding area, but that's okay because I'm an opportunist. Um, but last year, was really big on food sources so uh for me at least every deer i killed was on acorns or some type of food source uh so well i take that back i killed one during the rut that was a freebie but um you know it just like you said being able to adapt and recognize like okay i'm going to this place it's maybe it's not new but you don't have the bedding thing figured out because that's not really something you can do just showing up in a new new spot but you can't find food sources you can walk and find something that's actively being fed on and, and uh that was the ticket for me last year so definitely learn not to just get married to one specific tactic 
when when Chase and I were were dating each other before we decided to be co hosts uh, of the podcast, we were that uh, we had a lot of conversations. You know, whenever you you have a new hunting buddy, you have a lot of conversations. Like, oh, what areas do you like? What do you think about this and all this? Man, we must have spent a ridiculous amount of time talking about two things, and that was archery gear and getting set up in that, and then like trying to find some kind of pattern. I just remember spending so much time talking to Chase about, you know, big buck bedding. Can we find it? Can we not find it? Is it inside the transition zone? Are we hunting bedding areas as a whole instead of individual beds? And we, like, we spent so much time on that. And, you know, I, I think there are parts of Florida where you can probably find a bed. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some of those as time goes on that, you know, I think a specific deer uses that bed in, you know, a, a lot of times. And I think it, the, the, the denominator for that is water. I, it's, it feels like for me in places that I go that have a lot of movement of water, whether it's flooding or receding uh, tides or a lot of standing water. Anytime you have a reduction of just dry space that they can lay down and you start really refining where they can go. Um, that those are things that I start, have started to key on chase. What's your, what's your opinion quickly on, you know, buck, big buck bedding in Florida. <laughs> As the guy who kills all the big bucks in Florida, I figured I'd ask you. Well, my opinion on buck, I mean, I believe like Ricky said, there is kind of a way you can adapt to make it work for you. I'm not near patient enough to, to do it. I don't want to spend two hours trying to walk to my uh, stand uh, or, and like Ricky said, you find that there's, not that it's not the same buck using that bed. Like it, it's a good area, but I feel like a lot of the bigger bucks, they're on like a pattern of where they might come through every, let's say seven days. Like mm -hmm. there's like this six or seven day, but when it's not the rut, they, they kind of pass through every six to 10 days, which leads me to kind of believe that they're definitely not using that same bed. If you're catching them every six to seven days uh, on your tra trail camera. <clears throat> so at least where I'm at. And like you mentioned, where I'm at and where you're at could be a totally different story uh, as far as what the bucks are doing. But I don't really spend, I spend no time now trying to look at uh, buck beds or try to figure out where a particular buck is bedding because I don't feel like it would work for me uh, where I'm at. I know where big bedding areas are and would consider that buck to be probably bedding in that area somewhere, but I wouldn't consider it to be that he's going to bed in that same particular bed most of the time. Cause I don't feel like, I feel like there's so many good places to bed where I'm at that. Uh, I mean, why would you just keep bedding in that one spot? If there's just so, so many different good places to bed when you could be like, Oh, I'm just going to bed here for, the night instead of walk another quarter of a mile to go bed in that same bed, especially when you're talking about food sources changing all of that mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, I think deer are lazy. So uh, I, and they have to be that way for survival and everything else. And uh, I mean, if the food sources change and you get over there, why, why would you just keep going back to that same bed? That's a half mile away uh, every day, unless there was just nowhere else to bed uh, for survivability. I don't disagree. I do you think? Do you think when you say deer are lazy, do you do you extract? Ah, we should we chase? 
we're going to chase this rabbit for a second. Do you think that chase are some are chase? Do you think that deer are simple minded in that they don't think the way that we're like, oh, that deer's smart? Or do you just think that because they're lazy inherently, they stick to places where they're safe? Um, I mean, as lazy as in, I mean, it's Florida. So right now it's what a hundred degrees outside is going to be that way for the what the first couple of months at least of uh, <laughs> hunting in Florida. I mean, do you want to get up and move a mile in in the woods and the heat and everything? Um, but no, I, I mean not not even that they're uh, simple minded. It's just facts that I mean they live out in nature. So I mean, why would you want to be out roaming, moving a lot more than you would want to move sure. when? especially when you're not trying to chase the ladies at that time. I mean, you'd figure out, okay, where, where's my food at? I mean, think about yourself. Like, okay, I'm bedding right here in the living room and I'm close to the refrigerator. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it, to me, it, it, that makes more sense as opposed to, oh, I'm going to go hang out over here um, all the way at the other end of the house to walk to the refrigerator. Um, I, I just don't, I don't think that they want to have to move that much. And when they do move a lot, they get killed. So why why, why would you want to move a lot if you're going to get killed? Oh man. Okay. So I was trying to get us some hate mail. I was trying to generate some 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 mean tweets and some different stuff that way. But uh, you didn't bite. So we'll we'll get back to the topic at hand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about North Florida. So when I say North Florida, uh, I see a delineation. <clears throat> you go basically everything around I ten is North Florida, obviously. You go down 75 in the, in the, the Forgotten Coast. Um, I think you get to about Gainesville, somewhere in that range. And, uh, like, that's the cutoff, and you start seeing, like, a real noticeable shift in the habitat. Um, is that – y'all generally agree with that? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 Definitely looks uh, quite a bit more different down here than it does in a lot of the areas that I've hunted up there in the Panhandle area. Yeah, and so I've hunted in some in, other areas in North Florida. What we should, we really should go to South Florida one day, and just it's <laughs> going to be hot no matter when we're hunting. I mean, and plus they have cool breezes down there and everything. But, uh, but but it's it's one of those things where North Florida I feel like is unique in that you have a lot of longleaf habitat. You have all kinds of different pines from slash pine for the timber company, but you start to see this real mix of loblolly and shortleaf pine trees like that. You start seeing more and more white oaks and uh, Schumer oaks and uh, pin oaks and, and uh, Southern red oaks. You start seeing this variety of oaks that if you talk to anybody in South Florida, it is just this uh, like this epiphany that we have all these different varieties. It's like this like golden, golden part of the state. A uh, buddy of mine said, basically we have live oaks and we have water oaks. And, and if you even look at the taxonomy, taxonomy, taxonomy of South Florida, the water oak varieties, which they argue there's two different varieties, they just completely get merged. And so into one down there. And so for me, you have this really unique habitat where the quality of soil is starting to increase. You're starting to see swamps that look a little different. And I kind of wanted to talk about that. So Ricky, you hunt all over the place. You've seen South Florida during turkey season. You, you've been down there, which it looks a lot different during deer season. It's wet, obviously. <clears throat> what about North Florida? We'll start with the disadvantages. What are the disadvantages of hunting North Florida from a habitat perspective? Uh, well, there, you got the obvious clear cuts and then the wide open pine plantations. 
sometimes they seem wide open, but they're, you know, those palmettos will be head high. So it's actually more covered than you think. But I mean, if I was a deer, I wouldn't want to be laying out there, you know, palm, even though there's palmetto cover above your head, it's still hot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say as far as that goes, you know, clear cuts, wide open pines, there's a lot of, uh, it's really roaded up because of all the timber uh, action, which I guess that's anywhere now. But uh, it's hard to get away from roads, which on public land means it's hard to get away from people. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, as far as North Florida specific, that's all I'm really bringing up, bringing up right now. Why? Why is a clear cut a disadvantage? Not really a disadvantage. Just uh, I would consider that kind of negative. Uh, like yeah. Hardwoods, softwoods, I would consider that like negative uh, habitat, if that makes sense. Like, you're not going to be bedding in the middle of a clear cut that's brand new. Three, four years, yeah, it's great bedding. But uh, it just seems like around here, especially on private land, probably more so, they cut it as soon as they possibly can and they're, they're replanted. But uh, it just seems to be a, everywhere I've ever hunted, every lease I've been in around here, it's, they cut one huge block. The next block gets just big enough, and they cut that block before the other blocks even matured into good bedding. Sometimes, so. it's kind of like right. a negative space situation. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, usually on the like for me, I, I get what you're talking about, but as like if it's just clear cut, it's really good. I yeah. find like a well, fresh, just clear cut. I've killed, I don't know how many deer I've killed on that, but I, I mean, I get what you're talking about. Like if it's been there for a while, there's really nothing to draw them to it at that point. Um, and there's really no cover. Yeah. And I guess I meant like, obviously they're going to be on the fresh clear cut feeding in, in my experience, like you were talking about. Uh, but a lot of times I won't find them. I won't catch them there. You know what I mean? They'll be out there dark. And I have to get further you know closer to the bedding wherever that bedding is but. right okay i think and one of the, wondering go ahead i was gonna I say me, i usually gravitate towards the hardwoods so clear cuts are usually a last resort for me okay yeah oftentimes they you know they harvest towards an edge and that edge can be younger older pines it, it oftentimes is an smz or stream management zone or whatever it's called in your area um, I, I found that some of the things you talked about learning to adapt, I think we're probably going to touch on when we, when we hit this, but there are articles on, you know, if you, if the, if the cutover is the food source, the previous comment I made, you know, about field and stream hunt off the corn, you know, hunt off the, the, the planted, whatever, you know, supplant the terminology, turn it around and suddenly you have, you know, strategy that, that impacts you, impacts your decisions in, in, in a positive way. You know, I, I think a lot of people like to sit over cutovers. Uh, you see a lot of does that way. You see, you can see a long ways, which I think is really beneficial for a lot of people. Um, and it, it gives people, I think the, the feeling that they've got options. And as it starts to grow up, you know, during the rut, a cutover can be really been like, that can be absolutely money, but Honing back into what Ricky does best, when you find a, a cutover, what are you looking for around that? Like, how are you walking back? What What are you looking for from a from a habitat standpoint? 
Uh, obviously the edge, and then uh, if there's a place where the swamp meets that, uh, I'm gonna focus there first. But I mean, it doesn't have to be that. It could be just the pines, uh, some of those pine glades, which is combat as a spark. You can see the sometimes you'll catch them coming out of there, or in my experience, because um, some of these places, you know, there may be a swamp, but it's not. The deer don't want to walk through it. You know what I mean? It's just nasty thick. So that's not their type of swamps I like. I like the, you know, hardwood strands. More like a, it's a creek system, creek drain system. But uh, yeah, just edge is the key. Obviously, walk the edge and I'll find, uh, try to find somewhere where there's maybe a food source on the edge of the clear cut so that I can start at and then, you know, I'm usually looking for deer sign, if I'm being honest. It, at least the weather so paid off on me last year. Uh, tracks, uh, two of the bucks I killed here in North Florida on public land. I didn't know there was any bucks there. I just assumed because there's so many tracks underneath these white oaks uh, and droppings and stuff like that. Um, I think it's not underestimated when you see it with them, you know, in person. You're like, oh crap, there's a lot of deer crap around here. But as far as talking about scouting, I feel like that kind of goes unmentioned. Well, let's mention it. Let's let's peel back that onion. When you're when you're scouting, when you're going into these things, you know, everybody says, you know, I find this transition, I find X, Y, and Z. What are you looking for? What is what is the that that tipping point that says this is signed versus this hunt this is huntable sign? So buck sign is great to me, obviously. Everybody likes seeing buck sign, but if the if there's a ton of tracks there, my confidence is through the roof. Whether it's a food source or a trail, uh, uh, you know, just a transition from bedding to uh, to the feeding area, clear cut. Uh, I mean, tracks are king to me. And then when you get to that food source, like when you see it, you'll know. You know, when you see some deer droppings on the trail, I'm like, okay, that's good. But then when you get to a food source, if it's a concentrated one, like an oak tree or a group of oak trees, it's just like, you know, it's it's unmistakable. There's just deer droppings everywhere. Um, this particular place last year I was talking about, it did have rubs, it did have bucks on it, but it wasn't anything fresh. It was all in various ages. So I was like, okay, I'm going to sit here. And it, it paid off two, to, two months. It was a month apart, but the oaks were still dropping in that area, so the deer were still hitting it. So it, it worked out for me. But... It's not just there, you know, I find the same thing in Georgia, I find the same thing in other places with a similar habitat, so. When you find that hot sign, like the, the, the tracks and the, and, the, and the the indication underneath the food source is hot, how are you judging to hunt that area versus to start walking it back further for bedding cover. A lot of times, a lot of times, if you put a camera up on a food source, you'll find they're on the food source, even with good security cover, they're on that food source well after dark or right at the cusp of dark. How do you judge how far back you have to, to you know, you said you saw those old rubs, there was the, the aged sign over a period of time. Did you follow that back off of the food source? What, what led you to think that staying there was, was the key? Uh, well, in that particular instance, I actually started, I didn't know the food source was there. I started closer to the bedding and, okay. you know, I was walking a trail and all of a sudden it dumped out into that uh, area with the oaks. So that one, I kind of hit backwards, but it's really like you mentioned the security cover. If I feel like that's 
like I didn't have a camera there. So if I feel like it's a secure spot and that one happened to be, then I'm gonna I'm gonna give it an afternoon uh, and see. Uh, you know, are there deer coming to it? Is there deer, are there deer coming? If, obviously, if the deer are coming in right when I'm getting ready to climb down, I probably screwed up that <laughs> that spot because you know you got to get down sometime. But uh, then I'll I'll take a step back and obviously you know which way they came from if you're there when they're coming in even at dark. So then I'll you know try to it just it's, it's so situation dependent. I can't say move 100 yards, move 200 yards. It just depends on what's what's around but uh that's really the deciding factor even that that instance was a quota hunt so you got three days in florida on these quotas most of these quotas so to me it's worth putting an afternoon there at that hot sign that you found and then if they're not showing up then you got to reevaluate so are there particular patterns that stand out to you from a habitat standpoint let me give you an example. <clears throat> in the Patreon group, there has been a lot of chatter about rubs in Florida today. Um, people were like, oh, I see them rub this. Oh, I see them rub that. To me, there are a few trees in Florida they really key in on. If you see a magnolia or a cedar, especially, specifically that like that eastern red cedar, you might as well walk over to it because if if they're smaller, small enough trees, you know, something smaller than a trunk of a truck, it's going to have been rubbed at some point in time, in my opinion. Uh, it's yeah. worth going over there and looking. So, you know, we, we pick up on these habitat things that uh, create patterns in our mind. And we, we jump onto a new piece of public. We start picking it apart and we're looking for those those patterns. Is there anything in North Florida or that 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 jumps out to you that when you're picking apart a new WMA, when you're scouting e-scouting or you're driving around that like what what are you looking for that just jumps out at you that um it, it is consistently uh worth looking for uh well like you mentioned the uh, magnolia trees for sure uh sometimes you'll see those little pine saplings up, but mm-hmm. generally the bigger pine trees you know they don't, they don't like to focus on those but if i see a holly tree off in the distance and you know i have those overhanging limbs probably eight times out of 10, there's going to be a scrape underneath it if it's open. Uh, so a lot of times if I see them in the distance, I'll go check those out. Um, creek bottoms that are, if you're looking at on air on an aerial map and you haven't been there before, if it's like really narrow, uh, you know, this might sound obvious, but there's one WMA I hunt. It's pretty popular. It gets hit pretty hard, but the creek bottoms are super narrow and they're like choked out super thick. So whereas you're looking on a map, you might think that's going to be a travel corridor, but they're just not in it. They'll cross through it uh, at certain points, but you can barely walk through it and you can barely crawl through it. So the deer just don't really travel that creek like you would think. Um, but the wider ones, you know, the wider ones, that's where I'm finding these oaks at, the big strands of white oaks or long, you know, swamp chestnuts, uh, stuff like that. But yeah, as far as like vegetation wise and stuff that really stands out from a distance uh, holly trees oak trees if you don't you can't identify an oak tree just by looking at it from like 100 yards out uh, or even closer than that some people you know i've been walking the woods with people in there they'll walk right past a white oak or a swamp chestnut I'm like dude <laughs> you just stepped over this golf ball size acorn you know uh 
And a lot of times if you're in a swamp, the bark, the bark is all you're going to see, you know what I mean? Because it's the canopy's way overhead. So just being able to pick out those those things and that'll come with time. You can walk around with a tree identification book, but until you do that, uh, and it comes second nature, like the white oak uh, bark, uh, persimmon bark in, in a swamp, you're not going to see the leaves on that generally either. Um, that's all I can think of right now. <laughs> I think there's uh, there's at least 10 people or so that probably have photos of me with a set of 10 by 42 binoculars and a book tucked underneath this arm. And I'm just bent over, just backwards, trying to ID a leaf up above me. Because in, last year I dove into the, the, the plant ID, the oak tree ID. Uh, we had Warren Womack on the podcast and the, the guy's just preferred, preferred, preferred food source. And I took it about myself to identify trees so that I could recognize patterns. And, and I've talked a lot about this. And if you're listening at home, I'm not going to talk about the feed trees anymore, I promise. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're right until you start, you know, taking that book or taking that plant ID with you and you notice the bark. It's also difficult. Sometimes you can look you know, underneath the tree and notice the, you know, predominant leaf and use that as a reference, but they can also get mixed up. And so it can be a little disconcerting, but, um, do you check your trees every year? Like if you find a big swamp chestnut, do you go back in there and you're like, I wonder if it's dropping this year or do you just kind of amble about? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, like the places I'm talking about, I just found out today. We all did, I guess the quotas, I got yep. a quota for that. I'm going to go check it and, just because of the amount of deer activity was on last year, it's got acorns on it. I'm gonna hang cell cam just to kind of see what's see what's going on, so I don't shoot the first six point that, that shows up. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I try to do that, and persimmons too. You know, uh, I like hunting persimmons early season if I have the opportunity, so I'll, I'll go check those. Um, but they don't always produce. Sometimes they don't produce the same amount. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's important if you got some. Some that's been successful in the past don't just assume and go in there, you know, blind, waste to hunt, you know. Chase, what are your thoughts so far about North Florida? you have anything that we've discussed to add? I talk a lot. <laughs> uh, with Well, his particular area of North Florida, uh, I haven't hunted much, but I've hunted in your area. Um, I did notice, because we were talking about as far as rubs and stuff, and I know down here they'll they'll rub pine trees they'll rub cedar trees they'll um rub some of those magnolias i mean they rub a lot of love the your smaller pine trees uh you'll find down here and when we were on the patreon hunt in the particular day that i went out and scouted uh, i found a pattern there because like i said there were there were taller pine trees but it wasn't even like fifth road pines in some of the areas i was at i mean it was there was uh they're like these big expanses between the pine trees it was kind of grown uh, overgrown like really overgrown looking clear-cut stuff but still big pines and stuff that you could easily get in with climbers and things like that throughout it and any i found like we found some rubs in this one area and i was like huh i was like i wonder if that's going to be a pattern and it was anytime there'd be a clump of like probably <clears throat> i don't know about the size of a you know the toilet paper roll or a paper towel roll or whatever anytime i would find those particular pine trees in a clump together i noticed that there were rubs in those areas 
So, or at least that was the first, the first area we found some rubs. So we went to another area and I was just walking through the woods because we were looking for buck sign and I saw something like that. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to go over here and check to see. And sure enough, I went over to that area and there were rubs. That was where the buck sign was. Like, other than that, there was like no buck sign uh, to be found. And I did that over and over again. And that's, uh, that was the pattern that I picked up on was, okay, this is where they're laying down sign. These, these are the areas that they're laying down sign. Uh, and I feel like, uh, to me in those areas, I'm like, well, okay, this is, they're definitely traveling these areas. And there was really no rhyme or reason why you would think that they would actually even be traveling there. But that was, I guess that's where they decided that they were going to leave, um, for their rubs and stuff. And, uh, a few scrapes kind of, uh, in those areas, uh, the scrapes were kind of in different areas, which were kind of odd, but, uh, yeah, just uh, going through and figuring out, okay, this is the pattern in my area, and maybe I should use my time scouting to, okay, if I pick out, if I see something like that, I sh should probably go check it because there's a good chance there's going to be a deer sign there. Oh, that obviously paid out well for you too because, <laughs> Ricky, I don't know if you know this, but Chase came up for our Patreon hunt. And he scouted for maybe a couple hours the day before and went in there and shot himself. What was it just like a 90 inch? <laughs> yeah. Just shy of a hundred, right? Yeah, it was, it was a good buck. Yeah, um, for sure. Buck. Um, yeah, it was, it was actually, it was actually a uh, quite a bit of a uh, buck sign in yeah. that area. Um, and people had, the funny part was is people had scouted that area and said they didn't find any <laughs> buck sign. <laughs> <laughs> but if you know what you're looking for and figure it out, then, uh, and, and that's what I'm trying to convey is, is like, once you kind of find what the buck sign and whatever area you're hunting, where it's at, then like I said, you can use that and, and, and minimize some of your time scouting. Like, sure. I mean, if you're just out walking around, you can just go, okay, that looks like an area where they would, where mm -hmm. the bucks have, would be, and then go over there, check it out real quick. Nothing, move on, move on to the, uh, the next area. But I also had the golden horseshoe with me in my in my bag so that always oh. helps <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's i think it's funny because you know we, we joke all the time that you're you're lucky but you you know what you're doing sometimes i mean like <laughs> i'm just playing it, 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 it we i spend a lot of time in the woods you uh, do. people people don't realize how much time i actually yeah. spend out in the woods and it's way more than most of the people that say i have the golden horseshoe <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's he, the, <clears throat> his schedule back before he worked so much. I mean, that dude spent almost every day in the woods. It, it used to be that I lived vicariously day to day with him because he'd be like, look what I just found. It's the middle of May and here's a fresh scrape. And it's like, how? And you just, if you're in the woods that often, you're going to run across this kind of stuff. And, um, so let's, so let's get back to the habitat. Let's get back to, to Ricky. Cause this is about you, buddy. My apologies. Um, when, when, when you're going about selecting these WMAs, you know, when you were, uh, hunting and we were talking about your success as you started to apply the beast tactics to yourself. Um, one of the things that I think you talked about was that you weren't specifically hunting a, a specific buck bed itself, but you were looking at bedding. You were looking at transition lines between certain habitat types. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? 
uh, for people so that they can kind of get an idea of what, what that discussion looked like. You should totally go back and listen to that episode because we spent the entire time just talking about that nuanced topic. Um, but kind of let's, let's break that down. When you, when you say you find a bedding area, what does that typically look like for you? Uh, so I just, when I first started doing that, uh, I was in the lease at the time. So it was, it wasn't easier, but it was just a little bit more predictable. So like everybody had their, their feeders or corn piles or whatever, and those were stationary. Those were always there. So over time, obviously the deer, I don't think that they are as smart as we like to think they are because they pull us more often than not, but, uh, they're just, they're all about survival. So they would, they, you know, they would visit those corn piles, but they weren't really, they weren't, they weren't betting close to them because they knew, you know, okay, this guy's going to ride on them. I'm assuming they knew, I, I don't know what the deer's thinking, but they know this dude's coming in on a four wheeler, you know, and then when he leaves at night, then we know, you know, nobody's getting shot at. So I just kind of use that to my advantage and I would find specifically this place was like pine, you know, typical pine roads and all that, but there was just little pockets of, uh, just either slash where they had pushed up from the clear cutting before, or just little pockets of, uh, oats and, uh, just like that gum swamp stuff. And it was just, just enough to where they could get in there and they had some room to like make a scrape and have some rubs and, and, uh, and there was obvious beds like with deer hair on the ground. And I was like, Holy crap, you know, this is, you know, I can do this too. Just like, <laughs> you know, Mr. Infault himself. But, uh, so that was what opened my eyes to it. And then I started going around and like when I was scouting, turkey hunting, whatever, I started, you know, noticing beds and just kind of seeing, okay, I found this bed. It's on this transition between a clear cut and a creek on. And, uh, okay, there's two or three other little beds around it. So that makes me think there's no, you know, it's no bedding area. And uh, then the buck bedding seemed to be more, not different, because I, I don't think that a buck is necessarily always going to bed, you know, off in some weird, super hard to get to place, although they do sometimes. Uh, you would just find one, you know, same type of, same type of deal on the transition or just off the transition, somewhere where they could, you know, see the trail or hear the trail or smell the trail. Uh, and there would be something there to indicate that it was, you know, some buck sign. Um, but uh, there was also the one spot where I killed a buck uh, going off the bedding, not just a general, not a specific bed, but general bedding area. Um, there was a, there was next, it was coastal. So there was this little marsh pond and uh, they were traveling the edge of it. I'm assuming in my mind, they were treating it kind of like a field. So there's this large opening marsh grass and they were had trails on either edge of it. But just off, off those trails, there you just, you know, if you're walking through there, you can see tons of little pockets of it. The grass was pushed down and the pines where they had been bedding. And uh, I just, you know, assumed, okay, all this buck signs up there. I'm going to hunt the wind. I'm going to hunt where these two trails pushed together. And it worked out for me. Uh, but that, the first buck I missed that year in that specific spot with the marsh grass, the marsh pond, uh, I didn't see him stand up but I just walked through not very far from where he was bedding at and went to my, 
you know, to the tree I climbed up sitting in the saddle. And he came from that direction. He was exactly in the area where I had scouted and seen all those old beds. And uh, he came through and did exactly what I thought. I could just see him in the edge of the grass, like walking on the edge, like he was trying to smell. Um, or in my mind, that's what he was doing. And then he came to that little uh, pinch point. Two trails came together. There was a scrape. It was like textbook. Uh, and then I shot him in the shoulder and never found blood or air or anything. But, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's hard to put into words because there's so many different situations. But just I started transitions and then looked for thick enough areas near those transitions and usually there will be some kind of trail breaking off so you can kind of follow it in there and, and uh, it's not something to do I mean you can do it during season uh, but I don't like doing it during season because the best way to learn is to actually go in there and like lay eyes on it and see uh, whether it's an area or a very specific spot that you think you know bucks are using uh, or specific buck is using but uh Yeah, I mean, like I said, everything's always evolving, so I didn't really focus on the bed, bedding strategy last year, but uh, got food sources on the brain right now. I got a question for you. Yeah. Now, and I, I've found this to be true, like especially like on some of the public down here. Now, the areas where you're, you're hunting, are you finding that the bucks are in there year-round? or that they show up a particular time of the year and they're there at that particular time of the year, or are you getting pictures? I don't know when you run your cameras, but in some of the areas, like you won't catch a picture of a buck in velvet, like you just won't do it. And then all of a sudden they show up on trail cameras and, and could be there for, could be there for a few days or they could be in that area, let's say for a couple of months. Um, are, are, they are you finding that these bucks are using those bedding areas just because it's that particular time of year or there's a bunch of does there and that's why they're and that's why they've kind of claimed that area as their, their bedding areas yeah so the same thing happens to me i, don't, I won't get pictures in the summer and sometimes i want to get pictures early season depending on the area like some of the places i hunt the rut is in both seasons so that's when they start right. showing up i've <laughs> I've uh, <laughs> gotten discouraged before to move cameras and never hunt the spot and then have somebody I know go in there and they'll kill a buck. I'm like, dude, that is exactly where I have my camera and no pictures of bucks at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I learned not to get discouraged, just let it play out uh, if you have enough cameras to, let, to do that. Uh, but yeah, I find the exact same thing. I don't know, honestly, I don't know where they're at in the summer <laughs> if they're not in those places, but it does seem to be the does that bring them in there. Or, or the food source in some situation, which yeah. knows, so it's, you know. Right. Well, and I find it, I mean, that is, seems to be more of a, I mean, kind of, I mean, it, some on private, I seem to find, there's some areas on private where I can catch pictures of them year round. Mm -hmm. And then other ones where it's just like public, where they're just, they kind of show up when they show up, you're not really getting any velvet pictures uh, of the deer uh either i just thought that was interesting because i've come across quite a few people uh with the same story like it's just like uh, velvet deer never catch them in velvet mm -hmm. uh, and maybe not early season and then kind of as the rut kind of kicks on uh they they show up to those areas but 
that's a, a lot of different areas where they've run cameras <laughs> uh, for the same pattern uh, to be holding true. And that, I mean, that's my question. It's like, where, where is the bachelor party at? Like where, where are all these bucks of before that time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have found uh, back when I hunted Georgia private land more, you could find a bachelor group. They were like, stay they were like living in a clear cut, which is yeah. you know, growing up clear cut. Uh, so there's food there. Because, you know, you see these, you know, the whole Velvet Fest thing, guys have pictures of big bucks. It's usually act, an act field thing, whether it's at right. night or even not at night. Uh, they're just not getting pressured yet. But we don't have that luxury around here. There's just green vegetation everywhere, and they can't yeah. eat all of it. So it's hard to hold in on them. Yeah, there's really no defined uh, food sources, especially you know, on the public for the summer, unless you're near, you said, unless you get near like a peanut field or mm-hmm. watermelon fields or, or something like that. Yeah. And you know, the interesting and, perspe- and the perplexing thing to this, guys, is that you have you have that October shift, that October lull that everybody talks about. You have that 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 same early season shift as they go from their summer to their fall patterns and they're leaving one area and predominantly hitting another one and then they show up during the rut and it's like i've always wondered and maybe these gps studies that are becoming more and more prevalent uh at universities if this won't kind of show us a pattern but they're shifting from something to something else and in one breath I don't know how to articulate this well, and I've been thinking about this for some time. In one breath, we say there's green everywhere, they can eat everywhere, and so their patterns are erratic, and yet they still do very predictable patterns in a lot of these places. I have a couple spots where I'll get a a, a buck that'll just meander through periodically, and I think he's just doing a little walkabout kind of situation, but I see a very predictable shift most places where they're moving from this to that to this, and and it just has always annoyed me that I've not been able to identify why they're shifting from what. And maybe that's the million dollar question. Maybe that when you guys start seeing me whack hundred inch deer on, on a, on a day in day out basis, you can call me and be like, Hey, do you remember that episode back in June of 2022? Like, what'd you figure out? But like they're doing something and, and they're consistently using certain areas. And I wonder why. I think that is a million dollar question. <laughs> I mean, I think they—they've just got so many places they can be. So, I, I to me, even even during the season, I mean, it also depends on what your goals are, sure, as well. Um, yeah. If if you're trying to get on an area and you're just concerned about filling the freezer, or you're concerned about killing that hundred inch buck, there's different goals for people, and yeah. it's. And your strategy is going to change sure. a lot between sure. both of them, uh, a lot, or just does. I mean, I feel like does are more consistent with betting than bucks are. I mean, I've seen, I can see these groups of does go in the same betting area day in, day out, mm-hmm. uh, than, than with bucks. Um, so that to me, it feels like they're, they're a lot more predictable. So it all, and if you just want to fill the freezer, then you could probably easily figure out, um, that pattern. But as far as as far as the the big boys are concerned, <laughs> um, it's it's like it's a totally different thing to even talk about. Like, uh, it's it's hard to explain. It makes me wonder if they don't have like a couple core areas that we just don't understand, and then they they pursue food sources or different ventures out of their shift, kind of because 
I don't know, man. It just feels so like, like, like something drastically changes, and and it, I don't. It feels like there should be an explanation for it, and maybe there isn't. Maybe deer just do. Maybe deer are lazy, and the food source changes, so they find a decent bedding area near that food source, and they just hammer it until it's gone, and then they move on. Maybe that's the shift. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, they really the only drastic change I know of is the does going in. True the heat i mean that's Delta when you're going to get off. your biggest yeah. drastic change of um bucks coming into an area but i've also i mean now on some of the private like i said i've i've had them on game camp like i said all summer long mm-hmm. and then go figure a week before the season 90 percent of those bucks disappear and are never to be seen again right or I have a lot more of the opposite happen. I can't seem to find them in the summertime, but I have cameras that are in good areas for bucks. Um, oh, I almost just said the WMA, but where I killed my buck in 2020, my, my November buck, that was one of those areas where there was a lot of historical rut sign from previous years. It seemed like a bedding area, you know, or at least on the on the cusp of one. Put a camera up, the freaking bucks didn't show up until three weeks before the rut. And then they stayed there through the, through the rest of the season, and then they disappeared again. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, it was, it's just, it's always been interesting to me why they pick the areas they do. So maybe one of us will figure it out, and then we'll all be really, really, really well, well financially suited individuals because we'll be have all kinds of deer on camera at that point. But <laughs> well, Ricky, what is your what is your scouting look like in this area right like summer summertime is historically a undervalued or um overlooked time to be scouting do you start your scouting in the summer and 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 progress through the these areas throughout the entirety of the season how do you how do you approach this area uh i used to do a lot of summer scouting and then you know not to say it didn't pay off because if it's a new property, you should get in there in the summer and then start, you know, laying your eyes on it. But now if I'm hunting one of these same properties, I'll wait uh, until it's close to closer to season. But if I am going to say, I'm going to go in there now, just cause I've got the itch. Um, I'm going to go in and I'm not really looking for where they're at right now because chances are nine times out of 10, they're not going to be there, mm-hmm. you know, come, come even both season really. Um, but I'm looking for food sources. I'm looking for these thicker areas that, uh, maybe it looks like deer have been in there in the past. Like I mentioned, those old rubs, mm-hmm. but they're not there right now. Uh, oak trees, persimmon trees, any kind of food source I could find. Uh, but I'll just walk, like I'll find a creek bottom and I'll, you know, map out a loop the day before or before I get there. And I'll just walk that, walk that whole creek bottom and loop back around in my truck. Uh, just to kind of, because there may be something, maybe something, there's always something there that you're not seeing from the map. Uh, so it just helps that lay eyes on it. And uh, obviously, this isn't going to be an all-day thing this time of year. It's on degrees out, so try to get an early <laughs> start. Yeah, time constraints with family and stuff like that. And my summer scouting has dwindled over the last few years, but that did lay a good base for my knowledge that I have at this point is because in my younger days, I would just, I was relentless just out walking every chance I could get, uh, learning 
these places, you know, around where I live now, and uh, that helps a lot. I think it's I think it's necessary, even though you're every other part of your life might suffer. It's necessary to, to uh, get that knowledge base if you're going to be successful on a regular basis. Chase was smirking when you started that answer. You want to talk about that, Chase? <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's I'm just a. The same way. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm getting older. <laughs> I don't want to scout in the heat <laughs> uh, or through the the thick stuff. But um, I, and I agree with what he's saying. Like, if it's an area you've never laid eyes on or been to, then, yeah, I would be out there during the, spending some of the summer time trying to get a lay of the land and uh, figure things out for sure, like looking for old buck sign uh stuff like that but if it's areas that i'm familiar with then i'm i'm not going to do it but i do think that if you if it's your first year or whatever you're just going to be on that then any time in the woods is going to um help you so if it's just figuring out a way to get back to where you're going or want to be or think you want to be or Mm -hmm. um and like you said looking for potential food sources stuff like that all that's going to shorten your scouting time uh, when it comes closer to season. Yeah. I feel like in the summertime, you're scouting for the follow-up. Like you're, you're, you're finding the old sign, you're identifying potential food sources, you're identifying potential bedding areas, you're identifying potential funnels and pinch points. And then you're coming back during the season and you're verifying, you know, if, if that historical sign is still matching the current sign in 2020, I spent a lot of time breaking apart at WMA up in Georgia, uh, all summer long. I mean, every weekend I was up there for at least one day, full day, sweating my butt off, but it was, you know, I had this, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres that I needed to know, are these oak trees that are going to bear fruit this year? Are these persimmons? Where are these, these areas? What does this habitat just even look like? Right. And so you don't see me going up there and doing a whole lot of that now, but I've shifted a lot of my focus to in-season scouting where, you know, I, I plan a, a full day of hunting and I hunt in the morning and then I creep during the day and then I hunt that evening, you know, and, I, and I'm looking for that, that progression of sign because at least you have actionable intel at that point for the current year. Um, but I'm getting too old for it too, Chase. And I'm a couple of years younger <laughs> than you. It's too, it's too, and I also just don't like the heat, man. I'm not, I was born in this state and I think I just, I'm resentful of it physiology, phys, physically. Uh, I just, I'm not, I'm not suited for this climate and it's too much, but I still think you should do it, especially when you're learning a new WMA. Oh yeah. No doubt. All right. And especially if you're only going to have uh, a quota, a three day quota there. Right. <laughs> Um, you're definitely going to want to uh, figure some things out uh, to help uh, shorten um, mm-hmm. your t- – because you don't necessarily want to be scouting during the quota, but, I mean, if you have to, you have to because you could mm-hmm. be just dead wrong on what the, the sign was showing you uh, for the summer. And it, depending on when you draw that quota, I mean, if it's early season or middle of the season or whatnot, that's all going to change. But it's getting, I mean, you you can just go drive around. I mean, or in some of these areas you can't, but, or just walk the roads, do things Mm -hmm. like that as well, where Mm -hmm. you don't have to do like a lot of the heavy lifting during the summer, but you still can do uh, certain things that will uh, put you ahead of the game. The past couple of years. And then this year, I'm going to do the same thing. I usually just, I've been suffering once and go and hang on my cameras and then just 
accept where they're at and leave them until I go mm -hmm. into hunt that spot. Uh, and, you know, cell cams are great, but I use a lot of those, you know, cheap Tasco cameras and I'll just leave them. I go in to check it or I go in to hunt it and uh, check the camera while I'm sitting in the stand. Uh, if the sign looks good, I'll sit and then I'll check the camera and then I either write that spot off or I'll know, you know, this is, this is where it's at. I can dig it for sure. How do you approach scouting areas that uh, have a limited quota? If you you know you don't know if you're going to draw it, do you spend any time scouting that in the off season, or are you really trying to focus on the ones that you get drawn? Luckily, we know now, and so realistically, you've got what three months until the season kicks off, and so yeah, about three months. How do you go about where you put in your off season work? Uh. So I used to I used to do that scouting with anticipation of getting drawn, but I stopped stopped doing that because it seems like it's getting harder. Uh, but now that I know the one quote I did get, uh, I'm gonna go in and check uh, what was good last year. And like I said, hey, if there are acorns there, I'm gonna go ahead and take a camera on it because the hunt's not till November. But I'm just curious, you know. Uh, so I'll get that out before bow season starts. But uh, yeah, generally I'll wait till I get the quota, and then, you know, if I don't, I don't sweat it. If I don't get to get there before, I don't sweat it like I used to because, like I said, every, my stuff, my tactics are ever evolving. So, in-season scouting was like a big deal for me last year, and uh, actually the spot I killed those two bucks at in the in that one WMA, I killed bucks before, but I was like 200 yards off with a sweet spot. And I think I was just getting lucky before. So I went in further. I'm like, okay, this is why they steer here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in-season scouting, man, it's just, if you listen to an upset control podcast and, uh, like, entry and exit, it'll scare you to death and you'll be afraid to walk around during the season. But if you got a three-day quota, it's not happening where you're at. you gotta, you got to do something. You know, you got to get in the game. Even if it's, it's a spot where the wind's going to be marginal, I'm going to – I'm going to go for it because you can either not hunt where you know there's a, a big buck or a lot of deer activity, or you can try a marginal wind and try to make something happen because, you know, you got to get in the game sometime if you're going to kill something. So, Oh, yeah. Well, that's the good part about hunting out of the saddle or whatever. I mean, you, you can make those moves to where you you can make that setup work for you as opposed mm -hmm. to just like, all right, this is the tree I got, I got to sit on, uh, for this hunt. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. And 90% of my scouting is in season and ain't even <laughs> now to where before it would be, um, a lot more during the summer and, and things like that. But I feel yeah. like I, I get more uh, benefit of doing repairing holes in the wall or, uh, going yeah. fishing or doing other yeah. things I like to do. Yeah. Uh, than just strictly focusing on spending the whole summer trying to scout certain areas. Yeah, you know, we live in a state where there's a lot to do and a lot to be done outside of deer hunting. And, and because we have certain, since we have to put in for quotas for almost all the good the, the good WMAs, it's one of those things, it's like if you're not going to have anything to do between turkey and deer season because you don't know where you're going, like, yeah, invest that time with your kids and your wife, man. You know, build build up that relationship after after a season of of uh, uh, 
hunting widow syndrome. You know, you, it's, it's, <laughs> it's important, man. It really is. So, um, I'm, I'm with you. And, and that's also a good time to address gear needs, frankly, like, you know, if you if you have a, a bow issue, a bow tune issue, or or your setup isn't quite as quiet as you want, that's a great time to really sit down and and crank that out. Um, well, Ricky, we're coming up on an hour since we hit record. I want to ask you one final question, and I should have asked this early on. And I asked you, what's the what are the disadvantages to your habitat types? What do you like about hunting North Florida versus other areas? What 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 advantages does it bring for you as a woodsman? Uh, what I like about it, like I said, I gravitate towards water and swamps. I just, I love it. Even when I go to like to Kentucky or somewhere, like I'm just drawn to it. Uh, it's just, it's familiar to me. I like the whole uh, aspect of being able to access quietly if you want to. You just walk slow through water. You don't leave much scent. Um, yeah, you know, another thing, it's not really an advantage. It's probably a disadvantage, but it helps me mentally is a lot of times you can't, the winds are so variable here that yeah, you can't really live and die. I mean, you, you are going to live and die by the wind, but if you switched every time the wind changed direction and switched trees, I mean, <laughs> you'd just be, you would never hunt. So um, I don't sweat that as much as I used to. And a lot of times, you know, I don't get blown out like I used to, but I think it's just because, uh, you know, I'm just more familiar with bedding and stuff like that, but uh, as far as how it's set up, but yeah, I mean, there are a ton of advantages hunting in Florida, but you know, that's, that's what I like. I, I, like, I like the water and uh, I like, uh, I like the mosquitoes and everything that goes along with it, water moccasins, but that's probably my favorite part. I've got some areas you need to come hunt with me because... I, I, I'm a swamp rat. I, I, I see tupelo gums and standing water and I can read that sign. That sign makes sense to me. You give me a dry pine flat or mixed hardwoods and stuff, man, none of that makes any sense to me. You give me some, you give me some water to play in and suddenly I can, I can funnel movement and I can keep from being winded and I have a much better time hunting. Uh, I always Old run track. into bear, huh? Old tracks better too, but yeah, that's true. Yep. So a lot of, a lot of fun there, but dude, I appreciate you taking time out your evening, man. I know, I know you've got a, a wall you need to go finish. Uh, well, maybe not tonight, but we need to get you back to your family. So uh, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate you coming on, man. And I hope you guys, if you're listening to this, you really enjoy uh, what we've got coming. It's going to be, like I said, a five part series. We're going to bounce from habitat type to habitat type. And then I'd like to have like one summary episode at the end of it. I don't know what that looks like, and Ricky, I might, I might ask you if you, if you want to come back on, having listened to the episodes, to kind of, to kind of talk about Florida. But I feel like if we're gonna do all of this like piecemeal stuff, we have to have this like, yeah, connective episode where we kind of, you know, have a couple guys sit around. I'll, I'll have an adult beverage this time, I promise, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about what was said because I think it'd be really fun to compare notes, um, at least to hear you guys compare notes as as you go so but this is fun guys i really appreciate it ricky i hope to see you in the month of october and maybe some other months as well yeah are they uh when's that patreon hunt? patreon hunts in september you coming to that i would like to actually i wrote through that when uh, i was on a trip with my wife i talked to her going on a ride with me through the woods <laughs> wow 
You nice. got a trophy wife. I I tried that one time with my wife. It's like, hey, can yeah. we ride through this for for to to just to get familiar? And she was like, no, we're on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, then that's awesome, man. If you're gonna be there for the Patreon hunt, that's gonna be awesome. That's nothing but swamp. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Call my name. It is. It is. <laughs> we're we're affectionately calling that WMA. Taints hell, not Tate's hell, but Taints hell. So moving forward, oh gosh, Taints hell, WMA. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, okay. Well, with that ridiculous remark, I'm gonna bid you guys adieu. I hope you have a good, good weekend. As you're hearing this, uh, going into the weekend, get ready. Your quota hunts have come out. I got two tags that I really didn't expect to get, but I'm really excited. Chase, it looks like is gonna be joining me for one of those hunts. I'm really excited about that. So no matter what you do, get outside and be legendary.